It's good to see everybody here this morning. Okay, today we're going to be doing Judges chapter 19 through 21. And a lot of people wonder, why is this story even in here? It's not about a judge. It's not about a a ruler, a, a leadership of the Israelites. But it's an example of the history of what led up to the book of Samuel, where they needed, and uh, they believed the book of Judges was written by Samuel, and that's why the emphasis is always and um, came about in, in those days when there was no king in Israel. This has been a reoccurring theme through the whole book of Judges. Um, and it's showing how the lack of leadership has caused so many issues. Here in chapter 19, um, again, this is in the hill country of Ephraim. And we'll start in verse 1. Now it came about in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in a remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judea. Excuse me, in Judah. Um, Okay, you have to remember that a concubine was a lesser wife. It wasn't the prominent wife, it was a lesser wife. But his, his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for a period of four months. Okay, this in reference of playing the harlot, she may have been promiscuous, or she just may have been unfaithful, because over and over again in the Old Testament we have where the nation of Israel played the harlot and went after other gods. Okay, so a span of four months has passed. Verse 3 Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house. The trip has transpired. He's found her, and she is taking him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. A couple of things. Was he glad to meet him because he could get a second dowry out of him? Was he glad to meet him because now he didn't have to feed her and take care of her? She could go back to her her husband? Or was he genuinely, genuinely glad to meet him? And his father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Now it came about on the fourth day that they got up early in the morning, and he prepared to go. And the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Sustain yourself with a piece of bread, and afterward you may go. Eat a meal with us. Stay a little bit longer. So both of them, in verse 6, 
sat down and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. He's trying to keep his daughter there one more night. Then the man arose to go, but his father-in-law urged him so that he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose to go early in the morning. And the girl's father said, Please sustain yourself and wait until afternoon. So both of them ate. When the man arose to go, along with his concubine and servant, his father-in-law and the girl's father said to him, Behold now, the day has drawn to a close. Please spend the night. Lo, the day is coming to an end. Spend the night here, that your heart may be merry. Then tomorrow you may arise early for your journey, so that you may go home. Okay. The reference of the day coming to a close. It's past the noon. Okay. They've got a trip to go on. And we will see what happens. Verse 10. The man arose, um, but the man, excuse me, but the man was not willing to spend the night. So he arose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And there, there were with him a pair of saddle donkeys and his concubine also with him. Okay, if you remember Jebus, when they came in to conquer the land under Joshua, they fought, okay, and captured Jerusalem, but they didn't utterly destroy it. And so the uh, Jebusites con- continued to live there. They're living here during this time period, and it's a strong enough community that the Israelites in that area are not mentioned. And so it's important to keep a timeline and to help understand what's happening in the Old Testament and the New so that we can understand the people, the places, and the political condition of the time. Verse 11, when they were near Jebus, oh, in 10 and 11 is... We're back to the Hebrew way of writing. They'll make a statement, then they'll come back and fill in the detail. And we've seen this over and over in our study. But uh, in these chapters, 19, 20, and 21, if you don't understand that that was the Hebrew way of writing, it sounds very choppy, like they're repeating themselves. But if you notice, every time they do repeat themselves, it's a little more detailed. Verse 10, but the man was not willing to spend the night, so he arose, departed, and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And there was with him a pair of saddle donkeys and his concubine also with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was almost gone. And the servant said to the master, please come, let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, the master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the sons of Israel, but we will go as far as Gibeah. And he said to his servant, Come, let us approach one of these places, and we will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So it was about another two hours' travel. So they passed along and, and 
went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into the house, into his house to spend the night. Okay, it, this open square would have been just inside the city gate. This is where merchants coming in would set up their stalls. It would be an open market. Um, the leaders of the city would be there during the day. They collected taxes from merchants coming in. And, go, and so this is uh, later on we're going to find in the next book, in the book of Ruth, where a lot of political and legal actions take place in the gates or just inside the gates of the city. Okay, but the important thing is no one took them in. It is of the, they're in the, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Israelite nation. Then behold, an old man was coming out of the field from his work at evening. Now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjaminites. Clarification again. Okay, the city belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. This is a out-of-towner who's living there now, a transplant, and he takes this man in. And he lifted his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, for I am from there. And I went to Bethlehem in Judah, but I am now going to my house, and no one will take me into his house. Okay, if we read into the story here, no one will take him into his house. Evidently, he's talked with the people of the city. They wanted to know what he was, where he was going, all that stuff, prior to this old man. And he says, but no one will take him in. Yet there's both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and also bread and wine for me, your maid servant and your young man who is with you, who is with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man's okay. So he's saying, I can sustain myself right here. Okay, verse twenty. And the old man said, Peace to you. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, do do not spend the night in the open square. Sounds like a warning, isn't it? Do not spend the night in the open square. That's a rough neighborhood. You don't want to do that. Well, it's an Israelite city. They're supposed to be friendly to fellow Israelites. Okay. They're a, quote, united nation, right? They all just fought in the wars? Or are they? So he took them into his house and gave the donkey's father. They washed their feet and ate and drank. And when they were making merry, okay, it's not that they were getting drunk, but they were talking. 
They were enjoying themselves. Behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door. They spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may have relations with him. Kind of sounds familiar with another story. Yeah. Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, the angels coming and, or the heavenly beings, excuse me, the heavenly beings coming and spending the night at Lot's house. And a similar situation is about to take place. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows, do not act so wickedly, since this man came into my house. Do not commit the act of folly. Commit the act of folly. And certain base fellows or uh, wicked companions... In verse 24, the old man is protecting the traveler. Here, in verse 24, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. He knows how evil the Benjaminites are, the Gibeonites. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen to the Levite if he relinquishes him over to the townspeople. Okay, so he's offering his daughter and the Levite's concubine as atonement or as a peace offering, as payment to leave the Levite alone. Continuing in verse 24, But do not commit such an act of folly against the man. But the men would not listen to him, so the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning. Then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to draw, or began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house, where her master was until full daylight. Okay. So this is the horror story of the Bible. This is something that happened that during the history of the Israelites, okay, we often gloss over some of the atrocities that happened by religious people then, and we think of it today, there's atrocities committed in the name of religion all through history. Verse 27, when her master arose in the morning and opened the door of the house and went out to go on his way, 
Then behold, his concubine was lying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let, let us go. But there was no answer. Okay, she had died. Okay, and a lot of commentators, a lot of people will say, Well, he's a very callous husband. Get up, let's go. No, it's just that it's stating fact of what's happening. Then he placed her on the donkey, and the man arose and went to his home. Then he entered, okay, they continued home. When Verse 29, when he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her in twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And it came about that all who saw it said nothing like this has ever happened or has been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it and take counsel and speak up. So this implies that with each piece that was sent through, there was a messenger. And the messenger was saying, Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. Okay, chapter 20. And we're going to... Well... Well, there's some interesting history points here in chapter 20. Then all the sons of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Wait a minute. Dan to Beersheba. Where do we hear that again in regularity? The writings of Samuel. Okay. Had the territory of Israel been established from Dan on the north... Beersheba on the south. No, not yet. Because why? Canaanites, the Philistines, the Jebusites. Okay, all these foreign nations are still in there. Did they do what they were supposed to do? No. They were supposed to go in and clean house. And God said through Joshua, if you don't, what's going to happen? They're going to be a stumbling block. You're going to be led away. And this is what happened to the tribe of Benjamin. In chapter 20, verse 1, Then all the sons of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead came out and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. The congregation. This is a throwback to the book of Joshua when the Israelites were called the congregation. Okay. So how soon after Joshua did this transpire? 
We don't have an exact date, but we've got some clues. In the next few verses, we're going to read about Phineas. Who was Phineas, the high priest? He was son of Eliezer, who was the son of Aaron. So it's the grandson of Aaron, who's now the high priest, and Phineas ruled or was the high priest during the, um, I would say, after the death of Joshua. Because during Joshua's life, Eliezer was still alive. Okay. And in our last study, uh, last week, Eliezer was still the high priest. So this may have taken place as early as only 20 years after the death of Joshua. And what did they promise Joshua? What did Joshua say? As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. And the people said, Amen. Okay? So it doesn't take long for things to corrupt. Okay, and the thing to remember also is Mizpah is in the territory of Benjamin. It's about three to five miles from Gibeah. So it's within easy attacking distance. And the chiefs of all the people, even all the tribes of Israel, took their stand in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the sons of Benjamin heard that the sons of Israel had had, excuse me, had gone to Mizpah, and the sons of Israel said, Tell us, how did this wickedness take place? Okay, so they've sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin, to the cities within the tribe, saying, Explain to us. So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, okay, this isn't in, in the, the hearing, I came with my concubine to spend the night at Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. But the men of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me. Ooh, had they intended to kill him? Or was he taking literary freedom in his defense? Instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. And I took hold of my concubine and cut her up in pieces and sent her throughout the land of Israel's inheritance, for they have committed a lewd and disgraceful act in Israel. Verse 7. Behold, all you sons of Israel... Give your advice and counsel here. He's asking for justice. Okay, is it justice for them killing his concubine? Is it justice for them attempting to attack him? Or is it justice for the tribe 
that is dis, uh, disobedient to God. He's asking for a ruling. Then all the people arose as one man, saying, Not one of us will go to his tent, nor will any of us return to his house. They're starting to make promises. But this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. And we will take ten men out of a hundred throughout the... Okay, so they've got 400,000 soldiers that have come together. Do they need that against one city? No. And so they've, they've come to the conclusion, conclusion we're going to draw lots out of everybody and take one out of ten. And we will take ten men out of a hundred throughout the, the tribes of Israel, and a hundred out of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand, to supply food for the people when they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, that they may punish them for the disgraceful acts that they have committed in Israel. Okay, so they're going to choose the soldiers by lot. One out of ten is going to be a soldier. Okay, and then one out of ten of the soldiers is going to go for provisionings is going to be in the supply for the army. And so this is totally random, other than being divine chance by God, through God, okay, so that no, what's going to say? No one tribe can take the glory. Okay. Thus all men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. Verse 12, when the tribe, tribes of Israel sent men through the entire tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has taken place among you? Now then deliver up the men, the worthless fellows, in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the wickedness from Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 2. The law concerning of taking a life and the punishment of it. Okay, but the sons of Israel would not listen to the voice of their brothers. The sons, excuse me, the sons of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the sons of Israel. The sons of Benjamin gathered the cities from the cities together to, to Gibeah to go out to battle against the sons of Israel. Well, if it's only 20 to 40 years since Joshua's time, they've forgotten. They've forgotten all of the struggle to conquer the land. Okay, how many generations does it take to change somebody's attitude on a history? One, two... Okay, now I'll use World War I as an example. Okay, folks were proud to go to fight in World War I. It was the war to end all war. Okay, 
30 plus years later, World War II. Okay. It was the war to end all wars. Less than 20 years later, Korea. And it was a military action. Okay. And then 20 years later, Vietnam. And the attitude toward the soldiers was entirely different than toward the soldier in World War I. Okay, it doesn't take long to change the attitude of the people. And from the cities of that day, excuse me, from the cities on that days, the sons of Benjamin were numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword. Besides the inhabitants, of Gibeah, who were numbered 700 choice men. Okay. So out of the city of Gibeah was 700 men, and then you had 26,000 who drew the sword. Out of all these people, 700 choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Okay. A sling. Was it an effective war weapon of war? Yes. Was it a, a defective, an effective defense weapon? Yes. David used it what? Against a lion and a bear. He used it against Goliath. Okay. And here we have an account of the tribe, 700 out of the tribe of Benjamin that it's saying could hit a hair. Is it a thread? Or a rabbit? Okay. If you could hit a rabbit with a stone, if I was to throw, throw a stone at a rabbit, uh, maybe to the clock, <laughs> okay, maybe to the wall I might hit it. But with practice with a sling, it could be the back wall. They're that effective. Okay. And so we have a, an elite fighting force coming in the defense of Benjamin. Then the men of Israel besides Benjamin were numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. Okay, so there's 400,000 against roughly 26,000. Now the sons of Israel rose, went up to Bethel, and inquired of God and said, Who, okay, this is the first mention of them seeking God's advice in how to deal with the tribe of Benjamin. Who shall go up first for us to battle against the sons of Benjamin? Then the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So, Judah. Hmm, where'd the kings come from later? Judah, right? Where did Saul come from? David. They were all from the tribe of Judah. Okay, so the sons of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. The men of Israel went out against Benjamin, and the men of Israel arrayed for battle against them at Gibeah. And the sons of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and felled to the ground on that day 22,000 men of Israel. So 26,000 men 
killed 22,000 men of the Israelites. Did they? Or was it God? God was teaching the Israelites a lesson. Has this ever happened before? Over and over and over again. The people of Israel encouraged themselves and arrayed for battle again in the place where they had arrayed themselves the first day. Does this mean the second day? So two days in a row? No. It means the second day of battle that they were going to battle. It may have been one day in between. It may have been several days in between before they got courage up enough to go battle the Benjaminites again. And the sons of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. This is telling us that it's not the very next day because they went up and they wept before the Lord until the evening and inquired of the Lord saying, shall we again draw near for battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin? They're starting to feel some remorse. Not necessarily that they're going against Benjamin, but they're starting to lose people, lose soldiers. And the Lord said, go up against them. Then the sons of Israel came against the sons of Benjamin the second day, the second day they're going to fight. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and fell to the ground some 18,000 men of the sons of Israel. All these drew the sword. They killed 18,000 more soldiers. So we have 18,000. We have 22,000. That's 40,000 soldiers have died. That's a tenth of the 400. Oh, anyways, you do the math, but it's just a a fraction of the 400,000 that came to fight. And there was only 26,000 of Benjamin plus the 700 out of Gibeah that were there to fight. God is showing Israel that he is still God. Because look what happens. Then all the sons of Israel, this is verse 26, then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel. Oh, well, let's see came to Bethel, if they're coming to Bethel for a religious area, what happened to Shiloh? That was where they set up the tabernacle. We have to remember that the tabernacle is big and bulky and too hard to move. Well, they did it on a regular basis in the wilderness, but Shiloh was set up as the place of worship. So chances are they brought the Ark of the Covenant and probably the altar over to Bethel. To Bethel. So it was close enough 
for to seek God without having to go another day or two journey to Shiloh. And so is this a practice that happens with the Israelites of them taking the Ark of the Covenant into battle, near the battle? Yeah. How did they lose the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines? Oh, wait a minute, that hasn't happened yet. That's just a couple books down the road. Yeah, they took it into battle against the, the Philistines. And the thinking God was with the Ark of the Covenant. God was with the worship. God was with the devotion to him. And it was represented at the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. So, again, verse 26, And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the sons of Israel inquired to the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. They'd brought it in for the battle. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, Aaron's son, stood before it to minister in those days. Okay, so we have confirmation as to a timeline in this verse as to the probability of when this is happening. So, shall I yet again go to... Okay, and... Uh, Phineas says, Shall I yet again go to battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. So we see that Israel has humbled itself again, rightly so, to the Lord, and the Lord is blessing them. The Lord is giving them the victory. So Israel sent men, set men in ambush around Gibeah. Israel set men in ambush. What's happened twice now? They come, they attack the city. The people of Gibeah come out of the city, fight, chase off the Israelites. Second day, same thing happens. They come out of the city, they chase off and fight and destroy 18,000 men the second day. So finally somebody says, oh, you remember that story of AI? You know, when we thought we could just go in and take it, it was such a small city, and they beat us. And then when we humbled ourselves before God, God gave us the, the victory, they set an ambush. They drew the leaders out of Ai. They're going to draw the leaders out of Gibeah. Verse 30, And the sons of Israel went up against the sons of Benjamin on the third day and arrayed themselves. Okay, third day that they're going to battle. The third battle. Arrayed themselves against Gibeah as at other times. And the sons of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And they began to strike and kill some of the people as at other times on the highways, one of which went to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. And it, and they came out of Gibeah 
One road goes to Bethel. One road goes to Gibeah? Oh, well, what about Gibeah in the field? Which was another town. Okay, so they're drawn out away from the city. Uh, And here it says, to the other to Gibeah and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And so about 30 men of Israel have died. And the sons of Benjamin said they are struck down before us as at the first. And the sons of Israel said, let us flee that we may draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel arose from their place and arrayed themselves at Bala Tarner. And the men of Israel in ambush broke out of their place, even out of Merigiba. Uh, so all these, they've pulled the, the armies out of the city. They start dispersing and running like they did before. The army splits. The men in ambush are now attacking at two different spots. And what happens? Verse 34, when 10,000 choice men from all Israel came against Gibeah and the battle became fierce, but Benjamin did not know the disaster was close to them. Okay, so 10,000 men have now attacked the city itself. And the Lord struck Benjamin before them so that the sons of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, all who drew the sword. So there was all fighting men that are counted here that are dead. So the sons of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. Here's the Hebrew way of writing. They'd given a summary. Now they're giving details. So the sons of Benjamin saw that they were defeated when the men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. The men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah, the city. The men in ambush also destroyed, struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Destroyed all the city. This goes back to the devoted warfare or the cities under the ban that no plunder was to be taken. They were to be, every man, woman, child, animal, everything was to be destroyed and the city burned. Now the pointed sign between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they should make a great cloud of smoke arise from the city. Then the men of Israel turned in battle and Benjamin began to strike and kill about 30 men. Okay, so the original attacking force turned, are fleeing. Benjamin has killed about 30 men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, Benjamin looked behind them, and behold, the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven. Interesting. In smoke to heaven. What's gone up in smoke to heaven? Just in Judges. There was a heavenly being that visited Samson's mom. 
and then visited the dad. And when they prepared the sacrifice, he went up into heaven in the smoke. Okay, so this is a common saying of offering sacrifice. Up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were terrified, for they saw that disaster was close to them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel toward the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, while those who came out of the cities destroyed them in their midst. They surrounded Benjamin, pursued them without rest, and trod them down opposite Gibeah toward the east. So they pursued everybody. Okay, so judges, next week, we're going to pick up in 20, verse 44. Okay, and the reason I'm going through this, because this is part of history of the Israelite nation that gets overlooked. It's kind of like uh, when something bad has happened in, in the locale here. A lot of people want to forget it. Okay, so Judges 20, 44, we're going to pick up there. We'll finish uh, uh, the book of Judges and start into the book of Ruth. Thank you very much.